RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination Daxi. The town of Daxi was once among northern Taiwan's wealthiest centers of trade. Though its fortunes fell drastically over the course of the 20th century, the town has since made a comeback, with tourism an important economic driver. Much of Daxi's appeal lies in its well-preserved streetscapes, lined with ornate buildings that are still the pride of its citizens. The old stone and brick buildings that tourists come to see look like they're frozen in time. That is a well-crafted illusion. As time went on, the old buildings came to be plastered with modern shop signs, and as the local economy tanked, some began to crumble. Daxi's success in restoring its old streets is partly thanks to the work of dedicated locals who gathered to form the Daxi Historic Neighborhood Reconstruction Association. What was behind Daxi's rise, fall, and recovery? What makes the town's buildings special, and why do locals treasure them so much? Here to tell us is the association's Li Yilan. Daxi sits by the Dahan Creek, a river that flows into the Taipei Basin and from there out to sea. In the 19th century, river access to the markets of what's now Taipei and access from there to the wider world turned Daxi into what Ms. Li calls an inland port. Goods like agricultural produce would be shipped downriver, but Ms. Li says that in the 19th and early 20th centuries, it was above all camphor that made Daxi's fortune. Camphor was the wonder material of its day, used for everything from smokeless gunpowder and medicine to film and plastic-like materials. The camphor trees of Taiwan's north were then one of the world's richest sources of the material. The town celebrated its wealth. Commerce continued to boom after 1895, when Japan took control of Taiwan. People started getting with the times, adopting the latest building style, transmitted from the West by Japanese architects who'd studied abroad and wanted to use Taiwan as a place to experiment. The new buildings that went up in places like Daxi had carved stone plaques above the entrances, announcing shop names. The buildings were covered in ornate carvings, leading up to elaborate gables up top. This style is called Baroque in Taiwan, but this fashion was far removed from the much older European style that gave it its name. When it came to homes and shops especially, Taiwan's Baroque was a hybrid style. Alongside borrowed Western features were local elements carved Chinese characters, auspicious designs, and even local mythical creatures like the Qilin. The stone carvings are lively and feature lots of plants. Number 20 on Heping Street, for instance, has a gable with the kind of flourishes of leaves and ribbons that you might expect to see on the frontispiece of an old book. This is a 19th century building that had its facade redone in 1912. The gable also features a few carved letters from the Latin alphabet, an exotic touch that it shares with some other old buildings in Daxi. Number 24 on the same street has a peacock atop its rounded gable. The design of the gable also borrows from another local tradition, visual punning. 
certain objects are included as symbols, standing in for positive qualities that share a similar sound. For instance, on number 24, you'll find plenty of flower vases, because the characters for vase and piece sound alike. If you look very carefully, you can also see another mythical creature, the wealth-bringing toad, thought to attract money. Daxi's old streets show the Taiwanese Baroque at its flashiest and most crowded. Eventually, times changed. Later in the 20th century, Baroque buildings were no longer the fashion. The camphor boom had ended, and so had Daxi's place in big global markets. In 1945, Japanese rule came to an end as well. But still, Daxi prospered. Ms. Lee says the town had a long history of woodworking, and Daxi's craftsmen made furniture and other objects used in traditional dowries that sold well elsewhere. The 1970s brought tourism. Chiang Kai-shek had always shown a particular interest in the Daxi area. And after his death in the 1970s, his mausoleum was built nearby too. Ms. Lee says all this made other people pay attention to Daxi, and so people came and spent money. Taiwan's economy was taking off, and Daxi's with it. Then things changed. Woodworkers started investing their money abroad, in places with lower wages and the items they exported back to Taiwan left local craftspeople unable to compete. By the 1990s, Ms. Lee remembers, the town seemed dead, and some of its graceful old buildings were falling into a bad state. Certainly, the look of the old streets wasn't very appealing anymore. Modern shop signs were tacked on to many buildings. Above each entrance was a beautifully carved stone plaque, but many shops they advertised likely no longer existed and general disrepair didn't help things. Ms. Lee says even those who wanted to do some fixing up found out how hard it was to get a hold of the old-school craftsmen who could actually do the job. In the end, through the 1980s and 90s, many Baroque buildings were simply knocked down. Rumors of a street-widening project made it look like many more would meet the wrecking ball. It wasn't until 1996 that things finally turned for the better. One concerned local decided the time for action had come. They brought in architecture professor Zheng Zefeng to come up with a plan. Zheng arrived in Daxi, set up a workshop, and set about convincing people that these old buildings were worth saving. A project began not only to save the old buildings, but also to get local people to rediscover their beauty. He succeeded, and Ms. Lee says 48 Baroque buildings still stand in Daxi as a testament to this. The campaign started with the removal of the modern signs, restoring the buildings to their original look. Locals also took matters into their own hands. 1996 saw the founding of Ms. Lee's organization. The Dashi Historic Neighborhood Reconstruction Association got even more experts to come. These professors had lectures and classes about the importance of this architecture and what its intricate designs all mean. Local people had grown up with these designs all around them, but after a few generations, they'd forgotten the stories and the significance. 
Eventually, the association started training tour guides. It was at this stage that Ms. Lee got involved, and since starting out as a secretary, she's moved all the way up to the position of chairperson. With both passionate locals and skilled craftsmen on board with the project, the association has done a lot in its more than 20 years. Ms. Lee says what's really important is the sense of pride local people have in their buildings. She says the people inside them today know the histories of their buildings and the once forgotten meaning of the Baroque flourishes that make them special. These days, they also think consciously about the building's original look. People no longer just tack things like signs on, and any work that needs to be done will take historic Dashi's look into account and respect it. The association's work over more than 20 years has paid off for Dashi as a whole. Today, tourists from around Taiwan are back once again, thronging the old streets to browse vendor stalls, enjoy the town's signature dried tofu, and to take in the historic atmosphere. Not content with this success, the association has new goals now, among them bringing back the old art of woodworking that once fueled the town's prosperity. Spearheaded by many old craftsmen who joined up with the association early on, this movement involves opening classes, teaching people about a different part of Dashi's forgotten past. With the association and Ms. Lee to look after it, Dashi's heritage is in good hands. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. All it takes is a click to listen to RTI Online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw.